Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Man, we are excited to be jumping into the What's Next series. So turn to your neighbor and say, what's next? All right, now listen, I didn't believe some of y'all, and I could tell during worship some of y'all didn't have coffee this morning. So I want you to turn to your neighbor one more time and say, what's next? All right, now that we're all on the same page, let's jump, let's jump in. Uh, before I do that, I do want to stop and mention, because next week, this is our last Sunday before next week, next week is our First Fruits offering. And I want to encourage you guys, I know you just watched the video, um, but it's such a powerful time to give to God. And this is above your tithes, above your offerings, sacrificially. You're going to be joining myself, my wife, my family. Um, and we're bringing something to God. And essentially what we're saying is, God, more than I need to work harder, more than I need to earn a better income, more than I need to do anything, I need your hand of favor on my life. And so we're giving something special. You pray about it. It's your amount and it's between you and God. It's no one else's business, but what you're praying is God, I need your supernatural blessing on my life. And so I'm going to give sacrificially out of the first quarter of the year. This is what I'm giving. And then we're expecting God to uh, be abundant in his blessings towards us throughout the remainder of the year. And that'll come next week. You can, be give, you can give to that anytime between now and next Sunday. Uh, but next Sunday, we're going to have a special moment in the service where we actually pray over it uh, that God would just be, uh, his blessings would remain on your life throughout the rest of this year. So I want to invite you guys to join in on that. All right, so, but let's jump straight in. How many of you guys have ever tried to make a lifestyle change before? Tried to lose weight, tried to, like, whatever, just, like, any, anybody, only seven of us. How many of you guys have tried to make a lifestyle change before, right? Anybody ever tried to quit doing something that you really like doing, though? Like, donuts? You know what I'm talking about? Like, the struggle is real, y'all. Like, so, uh, but how many of you guys have ever tried to, like, Cold turkeys just started trying to work out again, and you tried to start working out the way you were working out the six months before that. <laughs> How many of y'all, you ever played yourself like that, right? How many of y'all went to the gym and were like, I used to be able to lift this much, and you put that much on the bar again? <laughs> played yourself, right? How many guys have ever, uh, I, I remember with me and Ashley, we were like, you know what, let's get some bikes. Let's start riding bikes together. First of all, that was a terrible idea. But I remember we were sitting there, and I was like, man, let's ride bikes together. How much, bro, I listen, I got like a quarter mile down the road, and I was like, we're going home. You know what I'm saying? My back hurts. My wrist hurts. Like, everything hurts. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, I don't know how we did this when we were kids. But uh, playing basketball, man, like, I don't know what it is. Like, my mind can tell my body to do something. My body's like, hey, bro, you hadn't been out here in a while. You need to calm down. Okay? So, like, those things are happening. How many of you guys have ever tried to get off caffeine before? Like, just try to quit coffee or energy, like, coke, how many, the headache, that third day headache, come on, somebody, right? Anybody ever tried to quit sugar, getting off sugar? Yeah. I don't know why you would want to do such a thing, but I mean, like, apparently that's important for your body. How many guys know you don't get to just pick back up where you left off, right? And you got to go through a few things to get yourself back to where you were. Come on, somebody, look at your neighbor and say, you got to go through some stuff. Like, you got to go through it. And uh, I, before COVID hit, I, I got COVID in January, if you guys remember. Uh, and before COVID, I was up to, I was doing a 5K a day, five days a week. All right. So that's a little over three miles a day. I was doing that five days a week. I was feeling great. I had lost about 45, 50 pounds. Like things were good. Right. And then I got COVID. And let me tell you something. I took about two months off. And how many of you know, when I put them sneakers back on for the first time, I didn't just hit that 5K at the same time I was hitting it three months before then. You know what I'm talking about? Like I, I got through a mile and a half and I was like, <gasps> I was like, I don't know what happened to my body. Okay. Actually, I'm well aware Scott's pizza is delicious, but none of that's not important. 
But how many guys know that if you don't consistently do what you're doing, it's only a matter of time before you literally feel like you're starting all over again? Like, it doesn't matter how recent it was. Like, when you take a season off, it feels like you're starting all over again. And, and here's what I've realized in life is that a lack of growth is not just a failure to progress, but it is an automatic regress. I'm going to say that again. They'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, a lack of growth is not just a failure to progress, but it's actually an automatic regress. In other words, we don't grow to a certain point and then stay right there and then say, you know what, when I'm ready, I'll just pick back up where I left off. I mean, no, it doesn't work when you're dieting. It doesn't work when you're working out. It doesn't work in your relationships. But somehow, if we're not careful, we can start to think that that's exactly how it works in our relationship with God. Where it's like, God, me and you have been good for a year now. And so, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from this and I'm going to go do a few things. And I'm going to come right back here. And I expect to pick right back up my relationship with the Lord that I left it at a year ago, even though I've been wilding out or doing crazy stuff for a whole year. And I'm not here to judge you or put you down for uh, the life, the way life comes at you and your decisions, as much as I'm here to try to highlight to you is that there's a, a life that God wants you to live and be living and consistently move in. But if you're not careful, we could all fall into the trap of thinking we get to just pick right back up where we left off because we had a great time at youth camp when we were 15. We get to pick right back up at that point when we're 28. And the reality is, how many of you know when you've been far away from the Lord, it becomes hard to reconnect because shame steps in the game. But what I'm here to show you today, and my hope is that we could show you how you can grow in God and maintain a life that will consistently keep you there so you don't have to go through the season of trying to get back to where you used to be. So tell your neighbor, say, we're not trying to get back. So in our journey, here's what I want you to understand. In our journey, there's the realization of God, and then there's the activation of a life that follows God. There's the realization of God, I believe God is real, but then there's the activation of our life that says that I believe that God is real. And those aren't always the same thing. All great men and women in the Bible had to go through seasons where they were consistently, if not constantly, activating their faith after the realization of who God was. So God became real, but then they realized they got to do something with the fact that God is now real. I'll give you an example. I mean, how many of you guys have heard the story, David and Goliath, where David defeats the giant and all of those things, right? It wasn't just enough that God was enough to defeat the giants. David still had to go get the stones. You with me? It wasn't just enough that Moses, God was going to use Moses to take the Israelites out of Egypt. He also had to then go in open up the Red Sea. He had to go and get water from the rock. He had to, like, so it's not just enough that you know God is real. What about the fact that now that you know God is real, God's now asking you to do something with the realization that God is real. And so God wants us to do that. And Peter is a great example. We see this in Matthew uh, 14. This is just a story that I want you to under, help understand what we're talking about. Matthew 14, 25 through 33, to catch you up, Jesus sends the disciples out onto the water in a boat. Storm hits. They're freaking out. And this is what happens. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage your desire. So Jesus is walking on the water out to them. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is a ghost. And Jesus says this. He says, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water, Peter replied. It would be Peter to say something like this. Come, Jesus said. 
Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And you, many of you know the story. If you don't, uh, Peter became more concerned with the storm around him than the Jesus in front of him. And he started to sink when his faith started to waver. And, and Jesus reaching down to catch him. We know the story. But, but the, what I'm trying to help you see today is that even though Peter knew Jesus was real, even though Peter knew the power that Jesus held, even though Peter knew this Jesus that he was talking to, there still came a moment where he had to get out of the boat and put some feet on the water. And for each one of us, we can have the realization, we can believe in our heart that God is real, but does your life look like God is real? Are you putting feet on the water? Now, not literally, okay, so don't go, like, if God called, I don't know. Anyways, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't bring a life jacket if you try something crazy. That's all I'm saying. But if Peter is going out there, he's got to put feet on the water, and eventually our faith has to activate to live a life where God is calling us to. And so here's what I want you to understand. So we go to another story. Is The Israelites are in Egypt in Exodus chapter 6, and and the Israelites are in Egypt, and as they're in Egypt, God wants to now get them out of the captivity of the Egyptians. And so they've been in slavery. He wants to get them out. And so Exodus 6, 6 through 8, it says this. And this is kind of where we get our four steps from. This is where it shows up for the first time in the Bible. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, I will, every time it shows up in the text, okay? So as we're reading, as I'm reading it out loud, I want you to say, I will, with me, because this is where we get what God is talking about. Therefore... Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord God, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So he's saying, I'm going to set you free. Like, I, I'm bringing you out from that slavery. He keeps going. He says, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And that judgment isn't towards them. It's towards those that were abusing them, okay? And then lastly, I will Take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the, under the yoke of the Egyptians. And, and in Exodus 6, we see four things happening. And, and to kind of give you a quick overview, uh, in Jewish culture, when they're taking the Passover meal and they're taking their communion, they don't actually take one cup of wine, they actually take four cups. And, and that's where we see the four cups. And in your notes, I'll give them to you quickly. There's the first I will, and what they're celebrating is the four I will. So when they're drinking, they'll say, they'll pray over the I will, they'll thank God for the first thing he promised them, and they'll drink from the cup, and then they'll praise him for the second thing, and they'll drink from the cup, and so on. And that's what we're looking at here. And stay with me for a second, because I'm getting somewhere, but I want, I want to give you some background as to why this is important, okay? So he says, I will bring you out from under the Egyptians, and and the first cup is the cup of sanctification. The cup of sanctification. And so uh, for some of you, that's like, that's a, a big word. There's a lot of letters. I don't know. <laughs> don't worry about it. We'll explain that in a minute. Okay. But there's the cup of sanctification. And so they, they thank God that he has freed them from the yoke of the Egyptians. And then the second cup, and they praise God for the second I will, which is I will free you from being slaves to them. And that's the cup of deliverance. And so they'll drink of the cup of deliverance. And then there's the next cup, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And so they drink of the third cup. And the third cup is the cup of redemption. And then there's the fourth cup. And I will take you as my own people. And that's the cup of praise. And so they're drinking four cups of wine. How many guys know if you've got four cups of wine in you, you're going to praise? Okay, no, it's a, it's a joke. It's just a joke. Uh, so, but they have 
completed that. And so what they're doing, and now each, every Passover, they, they'll take the four cups and they will thank God and praise God for this, uh, this specific passage of Scripture. And what we're going to do each week is we're going to break down how these show up in the four-step journey that God has for us. Because even though this is in Exodus 6, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's all for us. But what we can see is the pattern that God has for us. All right. And so to, to help you with that, I want you to go to Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. It's going to show up on the screen. And so here's what, here's what we see. This is how it translates to us in today's terms. In Ephesians 1, 17 through 18, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And that means the word better there means personally, that you would know him better. God has a desire that you would know him. Now, I know that may, that may seem like a lofty idea, but I want you to think about this for a second. God, the creator of the universe, the God of the Bible, the God that has been here since the beginning and he will be here till the end, has a desire to know you. Turn to your neighbor and say, know you. Now turn to the person you just neglected on the other side of you and look at him and say, and you too. Okay, so he has a desire to know you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened which means focused and clear, that I, I pray that you would know, that, that you would be freed in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Hear me, and I want you to grab a hold of this. There is a hope that God has called you to more than just hoping you get to the rapture. There's more to this life than just hoping you can hold on long enough to get where God is taking. There's a hope that's more than the hold on, try not to mess up and time your sin out right so that you and God can be good when he comes back. There's actually a life that God wants for you bigger than that. And so he keeps on going and says, I want you to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers. And that brings us to the four steps. We'll give them to you quickly. And that's that we would know God, say know God, that we would find freedom, how many guys know that there are some things behind you that are still holding on to you? Only six of us. I said, how many guys know there are some things behind you that are still holding on to you? How many of know? Most of them are people. All right. How many are got, how many are got somebody you see them in Walmart tomorrow? You're like, no, nah, not this aisle. Not today. Nope. No, Satan. Get right. Some of y'all are like, I'm not going to Walmart anyway. Okay. Target. Fine. Target ladies. Okay. Like, <laughs> Some of y'all are like, Target's such a good day that I don't care who I see. It's just a good day. So anyways, they, they don't add the Chip and Joanna section. Things are good. Okay, so moving on. If you don't know what we're talking about, don't worry about it. It makes no difference to you. Okay. <laughs> Number three is God wants you to discover purpose. And here's the beauty behind discovering purpose is the purpose is already in you. You just need to discover it for you. So God has already put it there. We just want to help you connect to it so that you can start using it for the life that God actually wants you to live. And then number four is make a difference. Because once you've discovered your purpose, he wants you to now make a difference in the lives of other people using that thing that he's put inside of you. Now, over the next four Sundays, we're going to pull this apart a little bit and give you each one of these. And so today I want to talk to you about knowing God, because that is, that is his ultimate desire. Listen, before freedom, before purpose, before making a difference, if your eternity is not secured in Christ Jesus, none of it matters. 
If you don't confidently know who God is, not just know about God, but know God, none of it matters. If you don't have a confidence that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then when this life is over, heaven is not waiting for you. And my hope today is that you would understand that God genuinely wants you to know him. And I've heard people say before, man, if God is so good, how would he let people go to hell? And I'm like, you don't understand. God's done everything he possibly could to make sure you didn't. God has made sure he's done everything he could to make sure that we had the confidence that hell was not our destination. Jesus and his life, he gave to us so that hell didn't have to be our destination. Listen, God loves you and he wants you to know himself. He wants you to know him. So let's, let's get going on that because he wants you to know him better personally, to trust him. Not just know about him like you know about Abraham Lincoln, but actually know him like you know the person that's sitting next to you, maybe. Okay, so like, I don't know how that's working for you, okay? But like, maybe you know them. Maybe, you know I mean? maybe you're both single and you're going to get to know them. I don't know what's going on in your row, okay? But <laughs> here's the reality. If I were to text my wife Ashley right now and be like, babe, you are a fox. Okay, she hates that. Uh, if, I was, if I was like, you are, like, you are amazing, you're beautiful. I can't wait to get home this evening and run my hand through your luscious black hair and stare into your beautiful brown eyes to tell you how much I love you. That would not go well for me because my wife has blonde hair and blue eyes. So she would be like, first of all, who is this dark-haired girl you're talking about? No, like my wife is half holy, half hood. you got to understand. Okay, so she, but, uh, but hear me, that's not going to go well for her. Yet I believe, hear me for a second, I believe that that is the way we're trying to talk to God. We are, we're using the right language and we're saying the right things to a God that we don't actually know. And so we know how to say the religious stuff, but we don't know how to be in the relationship. And what my hope today is to help get you started with a plan on how that can change in your life. Does that make sense? So today is going to be very practical for you, uh, my hope is, but that you could understand that you could really know God like that because here's the reality. Many of us feel like a spiritual fraud because we don't know the God we talk about. We know he exists, but we don't know him. But hear me, God desire, I'm not here to beat you up because you don't know him. I'm here to give you the roadmap on how you can start to know him. Because God desires that. To help you understand, can I really know God like that? If you're asking yourself, can I really know, like, does God truly want to know me? Does he want to be close to me? I want to give you some parts in the Bible where you can see God has gone out of his way throughout his word, not to just be a distant God, but a true father to his people. And I'm going to give these to you pretty quickly because I just want you to understand that it's real. But in the garden, God walked with his people in Genesis chapter three. He, he was the cloud by day and the pillar by night for the people, uh, for his, his people in the book of Exodus chapter 13. God commanded and wanted to meet with them. So he even had a tabernacle built in the Old Testament in Exodus 25. The Israelites often referred to God by his name, uh, which is Yahweh Shammah, which means the Lord is there. So they even referenced God as being right there with him. And that was in uh, Ezekiel. And God said, I am 
the, the uh, I am God at hand. So he's saying, I'm not far away in Jeremiah. The angel said that, that Jesus was going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's Matthew chapter one. And Jesus has promised to send his Holy Spirit to dwell with us so that, uh, so that God would be real and present for each one of us uh, as, we, as Jesus was with his disciples. And that's John chapter 14. So if you can see all throughout the Bible, God has gone out of his way to communicate that he wants to be close to his people. He's gone out of his way to show you that he does want to be close by. But he's also gone out of his way to let you know how close he really is to you. And this is what I want you to grab a hold of. In Matthew 10, 29 through 30, God references the fact that a bird doesn't fall from the sky without him knowing about it. And he knows the number of hair on your head. Now, here's the crazy part as I was kind of pulling this apart and I was reading a little bit. It's not that he knows the numerical value of the numbers of hairs on your head. He knows what each hair on your head is numbered. Now, some of you, I don't have any, and that's very unfortunate. So I don't, I, this makes no sense on you, and, and so just bear with us, okay? I got another analogy for you, but no, I'm just kidding, kind of. So, uh, but he knows the number of hair on your head, and this is what's crazy. As I was reading this passage, and it started to kind of come alive, and I was checking it out. He doesn't just know the total numbers of hair, but he knows each hair's number. So when one falls out, because, you know, girls, I know y'all just brush like, like it's, you know what I mean? Like y'all brush that hair like more aggressively than I've seen people do a lot of things. I'm like, that looks painful. But anyway, so when a hair falls out, he knows which number fell out. Now I want you to grab a hold of, this is how intimate God knows you already. That he doesn't just know the total number of hair on your head, but he knows each hair's number that fell out when it fell out. Now, some of you would be like, this analogy is very confusing. But that's the reality of the God. He knows you so well. Let me do another one just to help you. Talking about how much God knows. Uh, in Psalm 147.4, he says that he knows every star in the sky and he knows them by name. Every star in the sky. But to be clear, listen, not just the stars that we know and see and can identify, but he knows the creation of every star. But the reality is this. Every star to us is merely just a sun to the next part of the universe. So our sun is a star. Therefore, every star we see is actually just another sun, which likely has planets rotating around it as well. So the God that we serve doesn't just know all the stars. He knows all the stars and the planets that surround those stars and the moons that surround those planets that surround those stars that are far away from our star, which is the sun with the planets that surround it and the moons that go around it. Listen to me. God is so big and so amazing and beyond our comprehension, yet at the most minuscule, finite, tiny detail of your life, he even knows the number of hair on your head. That is the God that we serve. So now that we've unpacked the big and amazing nature of this God, here's the reality. We can also come to a conclusion that God has laid out throughout the Bible that he doesn't just want to be the God that knows the stars. He wants to be the God that knows your life. He doesn't just want to know them by name, but he wants you to know him by name. And that is the God that we serve. So we can have confidence that it's not just God's genuine desire to know us, but to have us know him. 
How many of you know there's a big difference between knowing someone but them knowing you? Ever try to wave at somebody in the store, but you weren't sure if they knew you? Like, y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever had someone wave to you, but you don't remember where you know them from? You know what I mean? So they're waving, they're like, hey, what's going on? And you're just like, hey, you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Especially as a pastor, you stand on stage, there's a lot of people. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. And so sometimes people come up to me in a restaurant, and it drives my wife crazy. They'll come, not that people say hi, but that so many people, like every time we go somewhere, I see someone I know, and she's like, you just know everyone. And I'm like, well, I do stand on a stage in front of hundreds of people all the time. And we'll go somewhere, and then sometimes people will come up to me, Pastor Brad, it's so good to see you. And I'm like, man, it's so good to see you too. Like, we're really looking forward to Sunday. I'm like, oh, dope, so you go to my church. Okay, like, that's what's going on in my mind. I'm like, okay, so I, now I know who you are. Perfect. <laughs> They're like, last Sunday was great. I'm like, wasn't it? <laughs> now that I know you were there, wasn't it? Okay, so here's the reality. That is not how God wants to know us. A distant, kind of confused, I think they were there type of relationship with you. That's not the God that we're talking about. We're talking about the one that knows you better than you know your spouse if you're married and better than you know your best friend if you have one. We're talking about the God that knows not just your thoughts, but your heart. He knows what he's put in you. He knows what he plans to take out of you, and he knows how he plans to lead you. That's the God we're talking about. And so I'm here to tell you, God wants to know you. And he wants you to live a life that represents the fact that you know him. The confusing part, or I think the part that we get to sometimes, is how do I do that? I, I hear you, Brad. I, I'm, I, I want to know God, but what is the plan on how I can start pursuing that? Well, that's what I want to end the rest of today with giving you. Sound good? Okay, so let's do that. Whether you like it or not, that's what we're doing. Okay, so uh, the first thing, how do I get to know God? And that's what we want to help you with today. How do I know him? The first thing we want to give you is you need to engage with God emotionally. Engage with God emotionally. You see, sometimes we think of God as a lofty figurehead, not realizing that he's a person that wants a relationship. Now, don't use that word person in a confusing way that would minim like minimize who he is as God. But he is a being that wants a relationship with you the same way other people want a relationship with you. So, so we need to engage with him emotionally the same way we engage with people emotionally. How many of you guys have ever seen someone with a sports jersey on of the same team you like and you immediately had that connection? Right? So you're like, I see, if I see somebody with J's on, I'm immediately like, A. Like, I see them fours, they're like, oh, yeah. Like, and this is like weird common language we have, you know what I mean? Like, I see those fours on your feet, and they're like, oh, yeah, the fours, what's your favorite? I'm like, man, I, I'm a big fan of the fours too, but I got a lot of ones. Like, and see, most of y'all are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But me and that person know what I'm talking about. And here's the thing, because we're both passionate about something, we get to engage on a passionate level about the thing we care about. Hear me, God wants to engage with you on a passionate level about each other. He wants you to love him because he loves you. And not just the idea of you trying to love the God that you hope doesn't destroy you because you've done bad things or give good things to you because you're trying to do good things, but a God that just loves you because he created you and he loves you. And, and I remember going to Waffle House because, you know, Waffle House. Uh, and so I remember going to Waffle House and we were there. I was there at like one o'clock in the morning with a couple buddies of mine. And this is, so I was a Christian already. To give you uh, clarity, I was a Christian already. And I was following Jesus, but I didn't know him the way that we're talking about today. And to help you, 
This was only about six years ago. So for those of you that are like, yeah, it was probably when it was 12. No, this was like six years ago. I was in my 20s and I was already on staff at a church. I loved God, but I didn't know how to love God the way he wanted me to love him. And I was sitting there with two buddies who are amazing men of God. They're pastors. And, and we were reading through Romans 5 together. And, and we, as we were reading through Romans, we're not going to do that now. But as we were reading through Romans 5, they kept stopping and like celebrating what it said. So they're like, therefore, we've been justified through Christ. Like, y'all, we're justified. That's crazy. And I'm sitting there like, they're like, they're passionate. They're, they're talking about it. And I'm sitting there like, yo, y'all are reading a different Bible than I'm reading. Because mine's not that interesting. That was what I was thinking. Like, and I remember that night I got in my car. When I got ready to drive home, this is what I told God. I said, God, I want to know you the way they know you because they know a different version of you than I know. Like, they care about this. Like, this is alive. To this. this isn't just the thing they're supposed to read. This is the thing they love to read. And why don't I feel the way about you that they seem to feel about you? And God challenged me. He said, I want you to do these things, and I'll, I'll introduce myself to you the way you want to know me. And for six years, we've been on that journey together. But hear me. I was watching people emotionally engage with God not just logically engaged with God. They weren't talking about God. They were talking to God. And there was something powerful about that. And so, man, I want to encourage you to allow what God has done for you to be able to know him, to generate an emotional connection with him. What I mean by that is this. If you know Jesus and you are saved from an eternity away from God, there should be an emotional response to that reality. That says, God, you're so good. I can't wait to see you face to face. I'm going to worship you more freely. I'm going to pray more passionately. I'm going to read with more intensity. Why? Because I'm praying to, worshiping, and reading about the God that saved me. And it should do something in us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, he had no sin, but because of us and he wanted us to know God, he took our sin. And he became sin so that we could know God. That should stir up a passionate emotional response here's the next thing uh, in your notes we need to let the same affection we have for everything God gave us to become the affection we feel about God himself I'm gonna say that again because some of y'all are looking all around stay on me for a second we're almost done we need to let the same affection we have for everything God gave us our spouse our job our kids our sports our teams our things, we need to let our affection for everything God gave us become the affection we feel about God himself. We should pursue him like that next. So we need to engage with him emotionally. Next, we need to align yourself positionally. Align yourself in the proper position. Align yourself positionally to know him. Here's what I mean by that. I remember not too long ago, uh, well, I'd say not too long ago. That's, that gets away from you quickly, doesn't it? Everyone like, that's older can get that. Ten years ago, uh, <clears throat> I got on the softball field for the first time in a long time. Okay, now, to be clear, let me give you a kind of catch you up on my childhood. Played baseball. My dad, y'all don't know this, Pastor Dan was an amazing baseball player. Played travel ball. Probably could have went more. Became a pat like so. Like he loves baseball. So he raised me to love baseball, even though my ADHD was a little too bad for baseball. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So like in the outfield, like it's crazy, you know. <laughs> so uh, 
And so that was me. Um, so then I started playing catcher because then you can be involved in every play. All right, that was how we honed me in. All right, so, but here's the thing. Around 12 years old, I realized I'm really big and I can hit people really hard. So football became my sport of choice and then it became basketball and I never came back to baseball. Anyways, we started a church league softball team. Haven't been on the field in 20, I mean, uh, like 13, 14 years probably. So they're like, go to the outfield, we're gonna hit pop flies. So I go to the outfield and what do they, like they crank one straight up in the air. Guess what I did? I took off running forward. Now every baseball player knows that ain't the move, right? First step back, right? Okay, so I didn't know this yet. I quit playing when I was 10 and I was a catcher. I didn't know these things. I take off running forward and about 10 to 15 steps forward, I realized that ball's going really far behind me. So then it's that confusing, like twisted up feet, turn and run this way thing. And then like, obviously I didn't get anywhere close to it. Like it was just, it was, it was pretty embarrassing, honestly, because I'm usually a pretty good athlete at the things I do a lot and baseball is not one of those. So, or softball. So, but all that to say is, I believe that's how some of us are going after God. We're seeing, okay, I need to go after God, but we're not realizing where God is actually trying to put us. And so we just take off running in any random direction, not realizing God's actually trying to put us in a very specific position to get exactly where he wants us to be. And hear me, the beautiful part is he has a roadmap and a plan to get us in the right position. It's just sometimes we don't bother to read it. Like he has a plan for us and it's all here. We just, if we're all honest, this takes a lot of time. You got kids, you got a job, you got a degree, you got a thing. And it, but it, here's the deal. If you want the life that God wants for you, posi- positioning yourself is going to be required for getting where he's trying to take you. So he wants us to know him. And here's the reality. I was eager to get the ball, but I hadn't learned how to posture myself in alignment to catch it. And many of us want God. We just haven't learned how to put ourselves in the right spot to hear from him to know him, and that's what he's wanting for us. I wrote this down in your notes. We need to invest the same amount of time into God that we invest into getting everything we want from God. The beauty behind God is not what we get from him. It's the fact that we can get him at all. God wants to know us and he wants us to know him. And I hear people tell me this all the time, literally all the time. Brad, I just don't have time to read my Bible or pray. Like, I just don't have time for it. And I'm like, that's crazy. Because you definitely wake up early enough to finish homework for that degree you want. Like, we, we, we definitely go to the gym in the afternoon or in the mornings to have the body that we want. And we certainly go to work early enough to do whatever we got to do so that we can get the bonus that we want. But we don't do the thing necessary to get close to the person the God that we want. And this is not me trying to beat you up because I've been in the same spot as many of you are before if that's where you're at with this. So here's what you can do. And and I have a number of scriptures in your notes. I want to give one of them to you. Psalm 145, 18, they're going to throw that up there. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. You see, many of us are trying to pray that God would do things, but we're not close to God when we're praying and we already feel shameful because we're asking God to do something knowing we haven't been connecting with him lately. 
But what if we were calling on God from a position of closeness rather than a position of shame knowing we should be doing better? And that's what God wants for us. In Psalms chapter 1, it talks about how important the word should be to us. And and you can read that on your own time. Actually, no, we're going to do it just because. Psalms 1, 1 through 4 says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That literally means in the word that God has given us. Whose delight is in what God commands us with, instructs us with, and who meditates on his law day and night. In other words, you don't just read it and forget it, but you let it become part of what you're thinking about throughout the day. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, it prospers. And that's the connection with God that we should be pursuing after. Where our delight is in him and our affection is in him and needs everything that we need because that takes us to the third thing I want to give you. Make growth reactional instead of optional. Make growth reactional instead of optional. You see, for many of us, like we talked about earlier, how growth is one of those things where it's like, we just, we're going to pursue God, but we're going to stop and we're going to walk away for a year, but we're going to come right back and try to pick back up where we left off. And it's like, man, the reality is we've lost something in that process, haven't we? When we come back, we all know that there's an element of like, man, me and God aren't where we were when we were there. And even though I've come back to the same spot, I know we're not in the same place. And, and here's my encouragement to you, man, make every day, not just about knowing your church, not just about attending on Sundays, but pursuing God in the way that would make growth reactional to the life you're living, not optional to the life you think you want. Because when we're pursuing God in that way, we're growing in God and we're knowing God follow through. And here's one of the things that's been very helpful for me as we get ready to wrap up. And I'll give these to you. One of the things that's been super helpful for me is I've moved my morning up 30 minutes at a time. So here's like, this is practical on the ground level for you. Okay, you ready? I moved my morning up 30 minutes at a time. So when I was sleeping till eight, I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up at 730. And I'm going to do exactly what I would usually do. Y'all know how you like, you wake up, you're supposed to wake up at 740, you wake up at eight, but then you go through the house on a tear and you get ready in 10 minutes, even though you could have done it in 30, but you know, like, okay, y'all are smiling. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay. So when I was getting up at eight, I started getting up at 730 and I was like, all right, God, I'm going to do what I usually do. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to shower. I'm going to like, I'm going to clean up. You know what I mean? I'm going to do all that. And instead of walking out the door, now I have 30 minutes. And right on my counter, if any of you come to my house right now, on the counter that is there on the way out the door is a bar stool with a Bible and a book. And I stop for 30 minutes and I read my Bible, I read my book, I pray, I close it, I grab my keys and I can walk out. And I did that for months and God challenged me and said, I want a little more of your time. But guess what I just did? I didn't restructure my whole day and like plan my gym differently and like all that. I didn't change my 5K workout. I just moved it up 30 more minutes. It's like, all right, God, you're getting, you want more of my time. I'm just going to move it up a little bit. And here's my challenge to you. Those of you who think you can't find the time, move your day up 30 minutes and start giving that to God. What do I read? I don't even know how to read this. 
Go to the church's social media account, Facebook, Instagram, or go to our website. We have a Bible reading plan that'll take you through the whole Bible in a year. And it also gives you a devotional so you know what you're reading. Start there. And hear me, I promise you, if you'll move your day up 30 minutes and you'll give it to knowing him, 30 days from now, 60 days from now, 90 days from now, you may not see a huge shift, but just like with working out or quitting caffeine or all those things we talked about earlier, you will find yourself six months from now a completely different person than you are right now. Because that's what happens when we know God. It's he wants to meet us in a special way. Because knowing God is not in the realization, but in the activation of faith. It's not just in realizing he's real, but it's activating a life that pursues after God because he's real. And that's what we want to do today. Amen? So let's know God today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can know you. And God, as today is uh, a bit inspirational, but Lord, honestly, something that we pray is just about preparation. It, it's, a, it's a framework for how we can start to know you and pursue you. God, I pray for each one that you're speaking to their heart right now. They're going to give you the first 30 minutes of every day. They're going to change their routine, just not in a huge way, just... 30 minutes at a time. God, I pray that you meet them in a special way. God, that your desire is that we would know you and you could know us. We love you today in Jesus' name. If you're here and you don't just need to know God better, you just need to know him, period. You know about God. But if you were being honest with yourself, you don't actually know God. You've never given your life to Jesus. Here's what I wanna do with you. I wanna pray with you that God would meet you right where you're at. So let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. Make me brand new. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid for my sins. So I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's give it up for all those that prayed that, perhaps for the first time. We celebrate with you.